No sound. Okay. That was very quiet. Between now and next service, we'll figure out there was supposed to be sound behind that so it wasn't so quiet when people walked off the stage. Okay. You have a good week? Yes. Yeah. Good. Hey, can you turn up the house lights a little? There you go. Thank you. I couldn't see you. I was like, anybody out there? You wouldn't believe how blinded it is up here. Uh, this week has been, uh, you know, not. I can't say a much better week. We could have nothing to do with circumstances, right? For the, you know, really the quality of your week has nothing to do with what happens in a week. It's your attitude about it. So I had to have an attitude check after last week. And uh, so this week is, uh, I haven't had any water in the basement. Uh, I haven't uh, had any major catastrophes. Uh, so um, I'm going like, okay, thank you, God. But uh really has to do with attitude. Last week I was just thankful that... Uh, they had people, I appreciate last Sunday after the first service, a guy came up to me and said, actually two or three people came up to me and said, hey, I know how to install some pumps. Well, you want to do it this afternoon? And I'm going, yes. And so I had somebody come over and help me. Actually, they did it. I watched. And uh, <laughs> so uh, Mark Roman, thank you if you're there this morning. I don't know. I can't see. Um, but uh, we're thankful for that as well. Um, so this has been kind of an interesting week. I'm glad today to see sunshine and warm weather. I don't know about you guys, but I am just so... It makes you feel better. So uh, I feel so much better today because of that. Um, Today we come to a conclusion of a series we've gone through for the last several weeks called uh, Changed. Lessons from a Changed Life on the book, The Little Letter of Philemon. Uh, It's only uh, 25 verses long. uh, And you're going like, man, you spent a lot of time, four weeks on 25 verses. No, I didn't spend 25, uh, four weeks on 25 verses. I've spent four weeks on about 17 verses, actually, uh, in Scripture. And today, kind of complete that, that journey that we've been through. But in looking at Philemon, it had so many things to say. And this morning, as we begin, I want to talk to you about how we spend our, our time in life. If you're an average American, you're going to spend about, if you live to be the average length of time the average American lives, you're going to live about 25,550 days. Okay? That's the average length of life for the average person in America. And if you live to, to, to your 70th birthday, you will spend 23 years of those 70 years sleeping. Okay? And you will spend 17 years of your life working. You will spend 11 years of your life watching TV and playing. You will spend six years of your life traveling. That means that going back and forth to work, anywhere you travel, anytime you're in a car, any kind of traveling. Uh, you will spend six years of your life eating. They may be the best six years of your life. I don't know, uh, according to how much you like to eat. Uh, you will spend two years of your life getting ready. Can you imagine in 70 years you spend two years of it getting ready? And then you will spend one year of your life if you're the average American in church. Okay? So um, I ask you the question. uh, Is that really uh, a good use of time? How the average person spends their life. Is that really successful or even significant? Is that what really life is all about? A few years ago, uh, back in 1995, I picked up a book. It's called Halftime by a guy named Bob Buford. Uh, It was a life-changing book for me. God's Word is the number one life-changing book. But this is a book that was written by a Christian entrepreneur. Uh, a guy who, at the time, he who had just a few years earlier had been one of the mo- he, and he still was one of the wealthiest guys in the state of Texas. Uh, he actually had lived—I don't, I don't know if he still lives there or not—but he had lived in a penthouse apartment uh, in the top of a, a downtown Dallas 
and it was only, there was only two apartments in his penthouse. He lived in one, and the owner of the Dallas Cowboys lived in the other one. So you could imagine how successful this guy was. But he'd come to a place in life when he's about 40 years old where he asked this question. He said, you know, is this what life's all about, the success? He said, I, you know, I've had all the success in the business world. I've had all the success in doing things in life. But I feel like I really haven't done anything significant. And so he began to, as a Christian, explore the whole thing. Is that what life's all about? Is this the best way to spend my time? What kind of legacy am I going to leave? And he wrote this little book called Halftime. And he said that the second half of our life can be the most significant part of our lives. We can move from success, the focus of so much early on in life, to significance in our life. And when I read that, I happened to be in my early 40s when I read that. And I'm going, man, you know, that's the whole thing. It's not, I'm not been a successful entrepreneur in that sense. But it's, and I was a pastor in a church. And I'm going like, do I want to spend the rest of my life just going through the motions? What's my legacy going to be? What do I want to do with my life? And I realized that the main focus of my life I wanted to have, and I've said this all along, is to see lives changed for God. To see people come to Jesus Christ. And so when I hear stories about lives that are changed, that's what gets me pumped up. Because when I leave here, I just don't want, I don't care, truthfully, I don't care about people saying, well, you're pastor of Great Oaks in a growing church, you know, numbers. If we had 10,000 people here every week, but everybody was kind of remaining the same and not growing in Christ, I would feel it's a failure. Because the thing in life is this, that God calls us to do something that's significant in life, not just successful. And so we want to talk about this morning about how do we spend our time because Philemon has a great story in here about the Apostle Paul about something he did. And the question is, what are you going to do with your life? And really, you only have three options about what you're going to do with your life. Number one, you can just spend your life. You can just go through the motions. You can get up, go to work, make money, come home, watch TV. You just go through the motions, spending your time. I think most people do that. You can waste your life. That's another option you have. I mean, you don't have to spend it. You can waste it. You can just, you know, waste it on your, just, just waste it. I don't have to tell you how to waste it. You know, I mean, there's, there's all so many good options on how to waste your life. You know, play video games 10 hours a day, okay? Uh, get on a computer and surf, you know, all the time. I mean, the computers are great. I love computers. I have one, I had one last night watching football, a computer on my lap. You know, I can do two things and multitask. And, 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 you know, it's good to have that. But the thing is, so many people, are, we can go out and just, you know, you can go out and play golf 24 hours a day. Or you can, somebody told me, you know, I'm looking forward to retirement because then I go out and play golf every day. I'm thinking that's the most boring thing in the history of the world. I love to play golf, but, you know, five days a week. I, I'm sorry. It's not my deal. Maybe it's for you. I don't know. But the thing is, so often is we have to ask ourselves, how are we spending our time? We can either spend our time just in whatever, we can waste our life, or the third option is this, we can invest our life. We can invest our life. And I would say that the biblical focus is investing our life. It's this whole thing of leaving a legacy, of what are we going to leave behind when we leave this earth? Jesus said it like this in Scripture. He says, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? That's what he said. And all through life, we're exchanging every moment we have for something. You go two hours to a movie, you're exchanging two hours of your life for whatever that movie was worth. You spend two hours doing anything because every time you give a couple of hours to something, you've exchanged your life for something. Because the only thing in life that we cannot recycle is time. 
You know, you can lose money. You know, we're all losing money right now. If you've got some money in, the, you know, in investments, I've lost 45% of my retirement in the last few months, probably just like you have. And uh, I'm hoping it comes back. I don't know. But you know the thing about it? I could make more money, but I can't make more time. And you can't make more time in life. So how do you spend your time is hugely important in our life. And I, I challenge you to think about that invest in your life, invest in your time, and something that you'll leave behind is more important than just spending your time and going through the motions. Will you use it to leave a legacy? You know, if I were to ask you this morning, you know, when you die, what would you like to be remembered for? What would you say? <laughs> That's the most morbid thought. No, it's not. It's, it's, it's what we need to be thinking about. I mean, if you could put your life, your life motto on a t-shirt, what would it say? Think about that this week. Because t-shirts usually have very brief sayings on them. You know, you can have a little brief on the front, back, and you can expand on the back, you know, if you want to. But what would it say? What would be your motto in your life if you, if you wanted to be remembered by something? If somebody would say, this is what my life's all about. What would it say? See, the fact is everybody wants to be remembered for something, right? It's a universal desire. We all want to have, leave a legacy. We don't sometimes think about that, but we do. We all want to leave our mark. We want to be remembered in some kind of significant way and by saying that we leave some kind of significant contribution. I mean, some people uh, do it in different ways. Some people write books. Some people uh, build foundations. Some people have resources. Most of us don't have the kind of resources to do those type of things. So how we leave a legacy is through people, through the people in our lives that we influence. Now, if I were to ask you this question, who, was the mo- who has been the most influential Christian over the last 50 years in the world? Who would you say? Would you say this guy? Show his picture. That guy? Yeah. Billy Graham. I think without a doubt, probably the most influential, the person who has influenced more people for Christ over the last 50 years, Billy's 90-something. Over the last 50 years, there's been no doubt it's been Billy Graham. More people through Billy Graham Crusades and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association have, have experienced the message of Jesus Christ than probably any person in the history of the world. But you know what the legacy, the, the, what led up to Billy Graham being where he is? There's, there's all kinds of stories, but the basic story is this. There's been four or five people in his life that, that kind of, or the people that led up to that. Because there, there was a guy that, uh, how Billy Graham came to know Jesus Christ was in a revival meeting. And the guy's name was Mordecai Ham. That's the next qu- picture. This guy. Don't have a real picture of him. He was a guy who was a revival teacher, and so he had a huge influence. It was at the point of going to this revival meeting that Billy Graham experienced who Jesus Christ was. And because of the influence of Mordecai Ham, Billy Graham began his legacy of influencing people. But who influenced Mordecai Ham? Well, it it was back, it was somebody, his name was Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday was another preacher. Cool name, right, Billy? Uh, Billy, I thought that was a cool name, period. Billy Sunday, what a name for a, for a preacher. Um, but he was at, at, at a revival meeting. Mordecai, Mordecai Ham came to know Jesus Christ through the teaching and, uh, and the, the witness of, of Billy Sunday. Who influenced Billy Sunday? A guy named J. Wilbur Chapman. J. Wilbur Chapman was a guy who was a, another person who, who was a teacher and a, and a preacher. And through the influence of this guy, Billy Sunday came to know Jesus Christ. Well, where, where did uh, J. Wilbur Chapman, do you think I'm going back to 
to Adam? No, <laughs> no we're, we're almost done. Okay, we're almost done. Uh, well, J. Wilbur Chapman was influenced by a person you've probably heard of before. His name was D.L. Moody. Uh, there's a little school up in Chicago called Moody Bible Institute that was named after and started, I guess it was started by him, I don't know. But Moody, uh, D.L. Moody was the person who influenced uh, J. Wilbur Chapman. Who influenced D.L. Moody? Well, in history, that's known, it's written down that it was a guy who wasn't a preacher. He wasn't anybody of huge influence, and I don't have a picture of him because we don't really know, you know who he was. But his name was Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was the person who had a great influence on, on D.L. Moody's life. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. He was a person who, as a, as a child, as a young adult, uh, D.L. Moody was influenced by greatly. Now, you go all the way back. You go all the way back to Edward Kimball, through D.L. Moody, through J. Wilbur Chapman, through Billy Sunday, through Mordecai Ham. We finally get to Billy Graham. And I'm sure that when Edward Kimball first was sharing about Christ with D.L. Moody, he had no clue what that legacy was going to be. But what an incredible legacy that was started. We don't know what our legacy is going to be. We don't know what the persons that we influence. But let me tell you, man, what incredible legacy that we can leave. God can use us in incredible ways. And that's, that's the whole thing uh, about this. It's, it's, it's important. It's interesting that the Bible says good people will be, will be remembered as a blessing. Good people will be remembered as a blessing. So how do you leave a lasting legacy? Well, there's this great quote by Corey Tinboom. And this quote says this, every experience God gives us, every person he puts into our lives is the perfect preparation for the future only he can see. God uses people into our lives who influence us, who, who work through, uh, God works through them to influence us. It's the importance of people helping people. In Ecclesiastes 4, it says this, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. But if one fails da- falls down, his fr- friend can help him up. But pity the man who fails and has no one to help him up. Let me tell you, folks, I have learned that the last few weeks. Every time I've had a need in my life, there's been somebody, I mean, last Sunday, Mark Roman helped me with the sump pump. I, now, I could might have put it in. It may not, may not have worked too well, but, you know, it worked. This week when I had car problems, another guy in the church stepped up. And miraculously, he didn't have to do anything. He just had to ride with me over to the place, and it was healed. No, not really. But <laughs> that's a long story. But, uh, but every time in our life, you know, we have people there to encourage us. I can tell you people spiritually who encouraged me along the way. My father-in-law, huge influence in my life early on as a pastor. He was a, he was, he was a pastor, retired pastor. Other people who were Sunday school teachers, a guy, ex-Marine, who was a Sunday school teacher who influenced me greatly. The thing is, is that the Bible says that we need other people in our lives, and you can be one of those other people. So who are you investing your life in, and who is investing in your life? That's the question. You know, there's an Old Testament story that talks about how important it is to help people because it it helps people be successful. There's this Old Testament story of a guy named uh, Moses, probably heard about him, uh, as they were having this big battle. And and God said, as long as you raise your hands, Moses, that you will be successful. 
But after a long period of time in the battle, guess what happens? You ever tried to raise your hands like this for a long time? Probably not. Looks kind of stupid. But the thing is, is that, you know, you hold it up long enough, guess what's going to happen? Your arms are going to start getting tired. And what happened was, is that as he got tired, as his arms started to fall down, what happened was the Israelites started losing the battle. But the Bible says when Moses' hands grew tired, Aaron and Hur, two guys, held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other side, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. Man, you can imagine that all day. They're standing there holding his arms up. So Joshua overcame the Malachite army with a sword. Because of three guys working together, not just Moses, but these other two guys helping him, he was successful with the mission that God gave him. We never need to underestimate the value of great godly relationships in our life. And that's the story of Philemon. The story we've been talking about for the last several weeks is the story of this whole thing of relationships, of how relationships are so important in our lives and how we need godly people who will believe in us and encourage us and lift us up and help us to be successful in life because we need people. Let me just share with you what we've talked about for the last three weeks real quick. The first week we talked about, verse 11 was the focus. And if you don't remember anything else about Philemon, do not forget verse 11 of Philemon. It's the whole verse that said, formally, but now. Formally, he was this way, but now, because of the changed life, he's this way. Formally, you were one way, but now, God has worked in your life and you're different. And we talked about we don't deny our problems, we face them. We talked about don't focus on what was, but on what can be, formally, but now. That's the real, that's the key phrase in the whole book, of, in the whole little letter of Philemon. Formally, but now, verse 11. We started there. And then we talked about the next week, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this whole thing about how changed people help people change. And we talk about there's two types of people in our lives that influence us. There's balcony people and there's basement people. Balcony people that are people who help us up. Paul was a balcony person. He had become a balcony person who lifted people up, who encouraged them. He was an encourager of persons. Basement people are people that pull us down. They're evaluators. They're people who are always just getting on our case. And changed people, the kind of people God wants us to be, is, is balcony people who encourage others, who believe in people. Then last week we talked about this. We said, you know, we talked about the whole thing of how changed people also are used by God to build bridges between people who are having relational conflict. And I asked you the simple question last week. If you know two people who are believers, who you know well and you get along with well, but for some reason they're not getting along with each other too well, God has called you, is one of your callings, to be a bridge builder and to help help them repair the relationships. Jesus said it in, in the Sermon on the Mount when he talked in the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, not peacekeepers, peacemakers. And peacemaking is, is sometimes difficult. But Paul was a huge bridge builder in the, the little letter of Philemon. A bridge builder between two people, Onesimus, who was the former slave who had become a Christian, and Philemon, the slave owner, who was a Christian as well. And he began the process of building bridges in, in their lives. Now this week, as we conclude this, I just want to wrap this kind of up by just saying a couple of things, telling a story, singing a closing song, then we'll go home, okay? 
That's going to be it. I'll just tell you what we're going to do. This week as we close, this whole thing has been wrapped up about this whole thing of relationships. But this whole thing also is about the legacy of Paul. The legacy of Paul, but also the legacy of what he left behind. You know, this legacy uh, going all the way back uh, to, uh, uh, to Edward Kimball, the Sunday school teacher who led to Billy Graham's life. Uh, we don't have to go that far back in Paul's life to see what was going on and what happened by him being a person who was an encourager, a balcony person, a person who built bridges, who did all these things in his life. Number one, in verse 10 of Philemon, it says this. It says, my plea is that you show kindness to Onesimus. I think of him as my own son because he became a believer as a result of my ministry here in prison. Number one, we talked about this before. People who are balcony people, people who are changed people, are people who believe in people. One of the things, if we're to leave a legacy, we have to believe in people. Now, we don't have to believe that people are perfect. We don't have to believe that people are always going to make the right decision. But we have to believe that God can work in people's lives and change people. We have to believe in God and believe in people. We have to believe that, that, that God can work through that. And so in, in, in the letter of Philemon, it's so clear. It is so incredibly clear that, that Paul believed. And not only Onesimus, but he believed in Philemon. Because at the end of Philemon, in verse 19, he says, he says some things about the whole thing. Let me just look it up and, and we'll talk about it in a second. In verse 19, he says, um, he says this, I am writing you this with my own hand. I will pay back not to mention... Uh, okay, verse 21. Confidence, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Does that sound like somebody that believes in somebody? I believe that you'll do more than I ask. See, Paul believed in Philemon and he believed in Onesimus. One of the keys, key things here is for us to not just keep, you know, just believe in people. I know it's hard sometimes, right? It's hard to believe in people, especially when they put you down or they fail you. But God says that's our attitude toward people because all of us are sinners who need God. And God wants us to work and, and believe in people. But the main thing is this this morning I want to share with is this. And we've not really covered these verses, verses 17 through 19. And this is something that not only when we believe in people, and this is what Paul did, if we want to leave a legacy and we want to really affect people's life, we have to take risk on people. We have to take risk on people. Philemon says, or Paul says this. He says, so if you consider me a partner, Philemon, welcome him, talking about Onesimus, as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Now, there is no guarantee here that Onesimus is going to do what Paul hopes he's going to do, right? Because you can't control anybody else's life. You can only... Believe the best in them. Expect the best in their lives. But he says, to, he says to Philemon, he says, if Onesimus owes you anything, and he knew that he did owe him something, right? Because he had stolen something early on, uh, uh, Onesimus had, then he ran away, and he was a runaway slave. And so, charge it to me, Paul says. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. If we really want to leave a legacy in people's lives, it's going to cost us some, something sometimes. And we have to take risk in their lives. So often we want to play it safe in relationships, don't we? We want to have everything certain. But there is no certainty in anything in life except for what Christ has done for us. So we need to take risk on people. What does that mean? 
What does that mean in our lives? It, it means sometimes that, that we can be hurt. It means sometimes that even when we're a balcony person, we're trying to lift people up, they will fail us. But it doesn't mean we don't give up because Paul is one who didn't give up on Onesimus or Philemon. Now, we don't know in the Bible, from the Bible, what happened with Onesimus. But there is some strong indications in history and in documents that were written in history that let us know probably what happened to Onesimus down the road when Paul believed in him and treated him with respect and and began to encourage him and be a balcony person in his life and build a bridge between he and Philemon. There were some things that happened in his life because there was a guy named Ignatius who was a Christian martyr. And in history, he wrote some letters to the churches in Asia Minor. And one of the churches he wrote a letter to was the church at Ephesus. And we still have copy. We still have those. Those letters are still around. You can read them in in historical documents, copies of those letters. And in one of those letters, he talks about, he goes on and on. This is about 40 or 50 years after this story in Philemon, after he writes this story. To, to this, to about Onesimus, to Philemon. And in this, one of the letters that Ignatius, this Christian martyr, writes to the church at Ephesus, for a whole chapter in, the, in his letter, he writes about this, this, this wonderful bishop, this leader of the church at Ephesus. And guess what his name was? Onesimus. And he uses the exact same terminology, the exact same little play on words that Paul had used. He was once useless to you, and now he's useful. Now, we don't know 100% for certain that that is who he is, but we have all indications, biblical scholars believe that that's who this was. 40, 50 years later, an old man who once was useless became useful because somebody took a risk upon him and built a bridge between him and his former relation, person he had a problem with. And that person, Paul, left a legacy. His legacy was a legacy, not only just that. I mean, how much of Paul's legacy? The Bible, a whole part of the New Testament. But I mean, one thing, that, that alone would have been enough because the church at Ephesus was at that time when, when Onesimus, this Onesimus was the bishop, the leader of the church, was the most influential church in that whole region. In that day in history. Man, what a legacy. Just because Paul believed in someone, he built bridges. He encouraged them. Bob Buford in this little book I was sharing with you earlier wrote a story. Because so often in life what happens is we come to a place in life... And we're going like, man, I've messed up so much in my life. There's no use. I can't do anything good. It's all over with. <laughs> but he writes a story, true story. He tells a true, true story about something that happened on New Year's Day in 1919. And on that day in 1919, Georgia Tech played the University of California in the Rose Bowl. And shortly before halftime, a man named Roy Regals recovered a fumble for California. And somehow he became confused. And he started running 65 yards in the wrong direction on the field. And a teammate, his own teammate, tackled him, true story, tackled him just before he could have scored for the opposing team. 
And when California attempted to punt after they didn't do anything down on the two-yard line, when they attempted to uh, punt, Georgia Tech blocked the kick and scored a safety. And the team headed off the field and went into the dressing room at halftime. And as they sat on their benches, Regal had a blanket wrapped around his shoulders. He sat in a corner with his hands in his face and he was crying like a baby. And that the coach was silent. He was trying to decide what to do with Regals and how to deal with this. You know, man, this is kind of strange. What do I deal with this guy? And so what he does, he looks at everybody. And when the timekeeper announced it was just three minutes until the half, the second half was to start, the coach looked at the team and said, men, the same team that played the first half will start the second half. And the players got up and started out all but Regals. He was still sitting on the bench. And he didn't budge. And the coach looked at him and he called him to him and he didn't move. And he said, Roy, didn't you hear me? The same team will start the second half. And Regals looked up with tears in his eyes and said, I can't do it, coach. I've ruined you. I've ruined the University of California. I've ruined myself. I couldn't face the crowd in that stadium to save my life. And the coach reached out, put his hand on his shoulder and said, Roy, get up and go on out there. The game is only half over. And all the people who saw that game that day said that when they went back out, Roy Regals played the greatest half of football in the history of college football. And he went on after he graduated from college to found several companies. And not only was he successful, but he gave his life life to helping other people find significance in their lives. True story. Failure is never final. And we never, we're never a failure until we quit. And sometimes we take the ball in life and we fumble it and we mess up and we go in the wrong direction and we goof up in front of everybody and we may be, feel ashamed and we have this fear of failure and we think God can never use me again. But God comes along and puts his arms around our shoulders and says, get up and go back in the game. The game is only half over. You see, the most meaningless statistic in any sporting event is the halftime score. If you watched basketball yesterday, you know that. You know how many, I don't know, I didn't do the, I watched yesterday tons of teams at halftime were behind that ended up winning the game. A bunch of them did lose the game that were behind at halftime, but a bunch of them did win. Halftime score is meaningless because the game is not over till the game is over. And the game is not over for you and me until they shovel dirt on us. And so what you and I need to understand is this. No matter what you've done in your life, no matter what you've done, formally, you were this way. But now, God wants to use you. And he wants to use you to leave a legacy. A legacy you may not even experience while you're in this life because you know i'm I'm sure paul paul was dead when onesimus probably became the bishop of ephesus i'm sure that sunday school teacher who helped lead dale moody to christ had no idea that down the road several layers of people down the road there would be an evangelist named billy graham who would have an incredible influence on people's lives and lead and, and, and shared the love of Jesus Christ with millions of people. 
We don't know what God's going to do. But God says, be an encourager, build bridges, leave a legacy. What's your legacy going to be? Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.